I dropped the Bible, but I didn't throw it. We don't do that here. All right. I'm going to try and juggle a bunch of stuff up here because I'm going to try and record the sermon today and see what happens. Maybe we can resurrect the podcast a little bit. Um, Today I am reading from... That'll help. Today I am reading from the book of Job, chapter 1. Is that working? You hear it? Okay. I'll project. We're going to do the whole book, the first chapter of Job. How many of you are familiar with the book of Job? You know anything about what it is or what it's about? Okay. Some hands, some no hands. You're about to get your introduction to Job. I'm reading from the first chapter, and I'm reading this uh, from this version, um, the Inclusive Bible. It's a new translation that came out of the Catholic, Catholic Church, which I really like. Once upon a time in the land of Uz, there lived a man named Job. Job was honest and upright revered God and turned away from evil. Three daughters and seven sons blessed the household. Job's holdings included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a huge number of household workers. Job was considered the greatest of all people of the East. It was customary for Job's children to take turns holding great feasts in their homes, his three daughters as well as his sons. Each time a cycle of feasting ended, Job would call his children together to purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for each of them. Maybe they sinned and profaned God in their hearts, he reasoned. Job did this on a regular basis. I'm going to stop there for a second. Now, most scholars, they believe that uh, Job is an allegory. I mean, it depends on your tradition. There are some people who think that every single thing printed in the Bible literally happened. But some people, the people that have studied this book for a long time, including Jewish scholars, believe that Job is an allegory, a parable, a story told to teach the Jewish people of that time a lesson about righteousness. And to challenge the beliefs of God's people that they the challenge challenge the beliefs that God's people of that time held about righteousness. You see, at that time it was a common belief that if you were righteous before God, meaning that you didn't sin, you kept all the commandments, you made all the proper sacrifices, you observed all the holy days, you stayed ritually clean, then you would be blessed. You would have lives possibly similar to Job's, at least here in this part that we just read. They believed that righteousness was rewarded with health, wealth, and love. In contrast, they also believed that if you were not righteous, you would be punished. You would experience sickness and poverty, loneliness, and so on. And these would be signs of God's unhappiness with you. Signs that God was punishing you. 
So scholars believe that Job was written to counter that belief of the people of that time. So what is problematic to you with that belief that God rewards righteousness and punishes sinfulness with wealth and health and all of those things or by taking it away? How do you feel about that belief system? Is that, does that belief system exist today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Thank God it's not. Huh? If that really is true, then uh, anything that goes wrong in your life is your fault. Right. Anything that goes wrong in your life is your fault. That's what that means. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if that one's working. Hello. Yeah. What else is problematic about that, about that belief system? Well, I had a friend back in Atlanta when we lived there who believed in the Word of Faith movement. And she had even gone to a Word of Faith college and everything. And she believed it so ultimately that she, everything was you know, because of her, her words, if she said the wrong words, things bad could happen, if she thought the wrong things, whatever. And she got cancer. And she, um, she refused to go to a doctor. And she had a type of cancer that could have been cured. I think she had breast cancer. And she, it could have been cured by surgery and chemotherapy. But she refused to go to a doctor because she kept saying that God would heal her, God would heal her. Well. She died. My friend died because she believed that in that crazy theory that everything, if you pray hard enough, God will cure you or God will take care of you. Well, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. Not always. Not always. And, it, and it's possible, the painful part about that is that she possibly died thinking that she had failed God. Exactly. That's the real problem. Exactly. And her family, too. Yeah. Deep friends. Prosperity gospel, if you ever hear about it. Um, there are lots of prosperity gospel preachers. You Google it if you don't know what that is. Preach that you are rewarded for your faith and for your righteousness, right? Of course, part of that also tends to come with, if you mail me money, you'll be blessed. <laughs> but in the midst of all of that is also, if you are good enough, if you love God enough, if you are righteous enough, you will be blessed with money, wealth, happiness. Your depression will disappear. If you're depressed, that means you're not faithful enough. If you're poor, you're not faithful enough. If you're sick, you're not faithful enough. You know, And so it comes with some dire consequences. Yeah. Going on with Job. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. I'm going to read from this Bible instead. <clears throat> One day the heavenly court gathered to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan was among them. Yahweh said to Satan, where have you been? And Satan replied, here and there, roaming around the world. Well, Yahweh said to Satan, have you noticed Job, my faithful one? There is no one on earth like him. He is unlike anyone else in the world, honest and upright, reveres God and turns away from evil. Yeah, Satan answered, but Job doesn't revere God for no reason. 
Haven't you put a hedge around him, his household, and everything he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands so much that Job's livestock cover the countryside. But reach out your hand and strike everything he has, and Job will curse you to your face. So Yahweh said to Satan, which also means adversary, Very well. Everything Job has is in your hand. Just don't lay a hand on Job himself. Then Satan left Yahweh's presence. Show of hands, how many of you think that it is easier to have faith in God when everything is going well? Is it easier to believe in God when everything is just smooth and whatever? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why is it easier to believe in God when everything is going well? Everything's going well. We want God to be our savior. We want him to save us from everything. Well, it's it's easy it's easier to have faith when we feel good, right? So when we're hurting, when we're agonizing over something, when we're terrified about something, when we are grieving, when we're suffering, the initial thought is, well, where are you, God? Right? So when everything's going well, you think, oh, God blesses me. God is blessing me. God is good. Everything is good. All is well. Well, here's what happened when the adversary got a hold of Job. One day, when Job's daughters and sons were eating and drinking wine at the eldest brother's home, a messenger came to Job and said, Your oxen were plowing and your donkeys were feeding at their side. When the Sabians attacked and plundered them, they put your farm workers to the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. While the farm worker was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, Lightning struck the sheep and the shepherds. They're all dead, and I alone escaped to tell you. And while the shepherd was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, Three columns of Chaldeans raided the camels and made off with them. The camel drivers were put to the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. And while the camel driver was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, Your daughters and sons were feasting and drinking wine at their eldest brother's home. Suddenly a great wind came from across the desert and struck the four corners of the house, and it collapsed on the young people. They are all dead, and I alone escaped to tell you. You know, I imagine that people who lose everything in a tornado or a mass shooting or a fire... They know what Job felt like in that moment, right? I imagine that the people of Turkey and Syria feel like Job right now. I want you to think about how you would react if that was you. If in a moment your livelihood was gone, the people who worked for you that you cared about were gone, Your children were gone in one moment. Some of you may have experienced maybe not that level of loss. That's that's definitely, I think, Turkey. I think people in Turkey and Syria know what that's like. I haven't heard of that, fortunately. But 
but how, how have you felt when you have experienced loss? Especially sudden loss. Helpless. Helpless. Angry. Confused, angry, lost. That's when you turn to God. That's when people turn to God. A lot of times people turn to God when tragedy happens, for sure. A lot of times they do. And that's what Job did. Then Job arose. Nope. Wrong script, wrong Bible. When Job heard this, he got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he prostrated himself on the ground in worship, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. It was Yahweh who gave, and Yahweh who took away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Through all this, Job never sinned or ascribed any blame to God. May God bless the reading of the word. There is so much that we have to learn from Job. And the first thing is, when things were perfect in his life, he did not neglect his relationship with God. That's the first thing we have to remember. Because so often when our lives are going well, we can, we can just pat ourselves on our backs and we can say, I am killing it at life right now. Man, I am, this is awesome. Everything is going well. I am doing a great job. Everything is wonderful. And we could forget to stop and give it all back to God. To give thanks. To worship God. To spend time with God. To give God credit for all that we have and all that we are. We can actually start to believe that we are successful because we're so awesome. And we can begin to believe that we don't need God. I think I've said this several times in this in the sanctuary. Um, Desmond Tutu, who was uh, a resident professor at Emory when I was there, he told us one day, he said he feels sorry for Americans because life is so easy for us. So many Americans walk through their entire lives not knowing how much they need God. What was really fascinating about that moment was how many people walked out because they were so angry at him and offended. God, how can you say that to me? Job never did that. In the best of times, he never turned his back on God. He never took credit for what he had. In the midst of his overwhelming blessings, Job stopped to give thanks, to repent for his sins and for his children's sins, and to worship God. Job's relationship with God was nurtured each and every day, and he lived with his mind trained on God. So we can learn from Job and strive to be like him as well. We can practice loving God in the midst of our plenty, and we can practice humility before God in the midst of our successes. I had a, I had a professor, a philosophy professor, who was not a Christian in my undergrad get mad at me one time because he complimented me on something that I had been doing really well on campus. And I knew that the only reason I was good at that is because God gave me the ability. And I said, Doc, doctor, I thank you so much. I appreciate that. But I, I didn't do that. God did that through me. And he goes, don't you do that. Don't you give God credit for that. Don't give that credit away. You did that. 
And I really felt for him in that moment because I realized he did not know what it meant to gain strength from God. That he walked through his life thinking that he was responsible for every single thing that happened in his life. That's what? It's America. That's what, that's what Desmond Tutu meant. Yep. Right. We take our blessings for granted in America, and we think on some level we deserve our blessings. We, uh, we think that, that um, and, 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 and this is, I think, a fallacy among Christian faith as well in America, is that because we're Americans, God loves us more and that we deserve more somehow. Um, and, and that, you know, I mean, it's, and yet that is not the lesson we get from Job, is it? From Job, we learn to be humble before God and to give thanks to God for every single thing that we have. Because as anyone who has lived long enough knows, those good times come to an end. They come and go. They don't come to an end forever. They come back, right? But life ebbs and flows. Tragedy can come upon us at any time, no matter how faithful we are, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much money we save. There will be times of difficulty, right? And it is that relationship with God that was fostered in the good times that will get us through the difficult times as well. In one horrendous hour, Job lost everything he held dear except for his love of God. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So it was his love of God that saw him through all that loss. And if you're familiar with the story, he didn't just lose the things and the people he loved, did he? It goes on. That was just the first chapter. It goes on for, like, many more chapters. He lost his health. Satan hit him with an overwhelming case of some kind of Skin condition that left him oozing and itching from head to toe. Mom, you know how that feels? Shingles? Maybe that's what he got, shingles. Which, by the way, meant that he was unclean and could not be among people. So he lost his community as well. And then his wife left him. And she left him because he wasn't actually angry with God. That's why she left. She was frustrated with Job because he continued to honor God and she couldn't handle it. I mean, everything that Job lost, his wife lost it too. And she was so angry, so hurt, so lost, so disconnected from God that she couldn't see past her pain. And so she left him. And I think many of us can understand her. I think many of us can relate to that, which is why it is so important that in the good times we foster that relationship with God so that when the bottom does fall out, and it will, we have the faith of Job to see us through.
And then his friends, oh, his friends doubted his righteousness. And this is where the theme of the entire book comes into play. Surely you've done something to anger God. You need to repent. And they judged him unfairly. That must have been, honestly, must have been the worst of it. Because everyone around him was looking at him and saying, this happened to you because you did something wrong. Clearly, this is your fault. And that was the cultural norm that the book of Job was challenging. Because it wasn't Job's fault. And I want you to notice, too, God didn't do this to him either. The adversary did it. Something outside of God did it. God did allow it to happen because God wanted to see how Job would react. But I don't want you to sit there and think God did this to Job. God does not do the bad things to us either. That's not how God rolls. But sometimes these things are allowed to happen because our faith grows stronger in the times of trial. Like, like Anne said, we turn to God when time, during times of need. Still, through all of it, through all of it, Job persevered in his love and his worship of God. He gave it all to God. All the good things and all the horrible things. All the happiness and all the grief. All the joy and all the sadness. All the euphoria and all the pain. Job gave it all to God. It's in the same way that we tend to turn from God in good times, we are also tempted, like Job's wife, to turn from God in the hard times. When we get stressed, we get too stressed out or too busy. When we're too tired or overwhelmed or sick, we forget about God sometimes. The other day I told someone that when the world gets to be so demanding that we have no time or energy for anything, we tend to let go of the things that are the least demanding. That's taking care of ourselves a lot of the time. And it is also, more often than not, God. Because God is not going to pound on our doors. God is not going to call or text us and say, where are you? Your pastor might, but that's not God. God is not going to do that. God does not make ultimatums. God is not going to threaten to turn off our power or send us to collections. God is not going to pressure us or guilt us into spending time with him. No, God is just going to wait there patiently until we remember him and return to his side. But what happens when we do go back to God? When we do honor God through the good times and the bad times? Well, we get a partner in life that will never waver. We get a source of strength and peace through the dark times of our lives, and we get a joyful friend celebrating with us through the great times. We get a wise sage whispering in our ears to guide us through the labyrinth of life. We get strong arms wrapped around us, loving us no matter what. We get to never be alone. Amen? We get to be forgiven when we mess up. We get to be loved unconditionally. We get to share the burdens of this life with our Savior. And what does God get out of all of it? 
Well, he gets the only thing he's ever wanted from us. Our love. It's all he ever wants from us. He wants us. So I'm really glad that you guys are here today. Because I know what's going on in most of your lives. I know how stressed out a lot of you are. I know how lonely a lot some of you are. I know how overwhelmed you are. And so being here means that you have taken a moment out of your week to give honor and praise to God, and that is a great thing. It pleases God in the same way that it pleases parents who get visits from their adult children who've gone off to college. Oh, they remembered me. They came home. I'm so glad. That's how much it pleases God when we show up to church on Sundays. It also fuels you for the week to come, filling your cup that is so easily drained by all the demands of life. But I want to encourage you to go a step further than coming to church on Sundays. If you're not already doing this, some of you are, I know that, but if you're not already doing this, I want you to give time each day to spend time just with God. And you're, I, could just, I could just see you going, I, I don't have an extra second in my life. My recommendation is that you start with a time that is easy for you. So maybe take five minutes just before you crawl into bed, just before you lie down at night, to sit on the edge of your bed, and if you're really feeling it, you can kneel by your bed. And just enjoy the company of God. You can do whatever you like during that five minutes. You can tell God about your day and ask God to be with those whom you love. You can thank him, praise him, or her, depending on how you choose to relate to God. You can read a devotional, or you can read scripture. Here's the best thing, the best part about God. You don't have to do anything. Nothing. You can just sit in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can sit on or kneel by your bed and simply breathe. Breathe in the love of God and breathe out all fear and anxiety. In fact, let's, let's do that now. Let's do that now. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and get comfortable for a minute. Settle into your seat. Lean back. Relax your hands and unclench your jaws. Let the tension in your necks and your lower backs start to relax. Release the tension in your legs. Just rest. Drop your shoulders and plant your feet on the floor if you're tall enough. 
take a deep breath into your lungs. Just breathe in and breathe out. And think of God. Imagine that the air that you're breathing in and out is the breath of God filling you to the very edges of your being. And as you breathe out, feel yourself settling into the palm of God's hand. Feel the safety that God offers you. Invite God's peace to be with you. As you breathe in, take a deep breath in and say to yourself or to God, I love you, God. And as you breathe out, think, I love you. Just breathe and be with God. I encourage you to do this every night before bed. Just breathe. When you're ready, you can open your eyes. Maybe this could be your Lenten Ritual, your discipline that you start, that for 40 days you're going to end your day breathing in the presence of God. And if you're really ambitious, you can do it in the morning too. Of course, I recognize if you have kids, that gets tough. I promise you will notice a change in the way that you feel inside and a change in the way that you respond to the stressors in your life. Simply because you choose to spend time with God. God makes no demands from you in that time. You're not required to be anything specific, to bring anything specific to the table. He just wants you there to tell God you love him and to listen. Just listen. You see, at the end of the story, after all the tragedy and loss that Job experienced, all of his good things came back to him. Because that's how life is. Like the ocean. On the beach, it ebbs and it flows. It comes in 
and it goes away, and it comes back again. The wealth, the wife, the children, his health, the respect of his friends, and so forth. Because that is life. Sometimes hard times come, and then they pass away, replaced by peaceful times, joyful times. If anything, Job is a story about life. And there are many morals in this story. But the moral that we're focusing on today is the thing that never wavered, not once, was the strength that Job received from his relationship with God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.